Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is our unofficial legal beagle and research fellow at the Hoover Institution, Adam White. And you've also joined a new group, Originalists Against Trump. Is that right? That's right. Originalists Against Trump, which published a letter yesterday speaking out on the stakes of the election. So this is like an official group. Do you guys have meetings? Are you the social secretary? Is there... Matching uniforms. Well, it's a bunch of law professors, and I suppose in the Valley of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king, but even I'm not the social director of this. Uh, Well, the unofficial uniform, of course, would be tweed jackets with patched elbows, as opposed to what it should be, which is brand-new polo shirts from Cricket.com. Cricket makes comfortable, sharp-looking polo shirts that perfectly mix old-school style and modern design. But that's not why I want to talk about CricketShirts.com. I want to thank them for finally ending the battle of the shirts at my house. See, I always wear polo shirts when I'm not at work. Summertime, it's polos and cargo shorts. Winter, it's polo and jeans. And I find polo shirts that I like because they have the right feel, you know, the material, or they're not too skinny, or they're not too boxy. And then my wife wants to throw them away after a few washes because she says that they look bad, the collars get all crunchy in that bacon collar thing, or they kind of look faded. And I'm like, But, baby, I like that shirt. And so we've been fighting until I found CricketShirts.com. Cricket shirts are made with super soft, 100% certified organic cotton, making their shirts as comfortable on the 19th hole as they are at the 18th. The shirts are not too baggy, not too skinny, and Cricket shirts come with removable collar stays to keep the collars looking crisp and new. No more bacon collar. Now, I know a lot of guys are like me, buying clothes with the internet, uh, but listen... Cricket Shirts offers free, no-hassle returns and exchanges. Plus, because you listen to the Weekly Standard Podcast, you can get 20% off your first purchase. Just go to CricketShirts.com. That's C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. CricketShirts.com slash Weekly Standard. Use the promo code Weekly Standard. It'll be 20% off your first purchase, and I promise you, it won't be your last purchase. You are going to love CricketShirts.com, C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. CricketShirts.com slash Weekly Standard. Use the promo code Weekly Standard. And thanks again to Cricket Shirts for supporting this podcast. Setting aside sartorial issues, Counselor White, what is the message of this letter signed by prominent conservative figures in the legal community? Well, it was organized by two young conservative law professors, Stephen Sachs and Will Bode. The headline-grabbing names on the list are folks like Richard Epstein, one of the most prominent libertarian law professors in the country and a a colleague of mine at the Hoover Institution. Uh, George Will signed the letter. Keith Whittington of Princeton, one of the leading originalist scholars. These are – it's a group of scholars who, while they differ – I'm sure in some of their views, they're all basically – what they all basically have in common is a commitment to interpreting the Constitution in accordance with its original meaning. And so what is their complaint, particularly given the broader argument, which is forget Trump, forget Hillary as people. It's all about the Supreme Court. That is, many people agree, the most powerful pro-Trump argument. Right, and I'm just speaking on my own behalf here, to be clear. I'm not speaking on behalf of the group um, or the the letter, but – as I take it, this letter is a response to that basic argument you're hearing more and more, the sort of sh- – what, what the, the trump card, if you will, of reluct- reluctant Trump voters is but the Supreme Court. No matter what else you think about Donald Trump as a candidate, the fact remains that he, the next president will probably fill at least one Supreme Court seat and maybe more than that. And so no matter what, you else, what else you think of Trump, you need to support him because of the court. And the point of this letter is to take a step back and say, no, that's not right. 
the election is about more than just the court. It's about the Constitution. And as important as the court is, and we definitely don't underplay this, the court is crucial. And everybody who signed this letter has dedicated their careers to writing and, and, and thinking about the court. The greater constitutional stakes posed by this election raise significant doubts about the fitness of Donald Trump for president. Well, talk about the issue of constitutionalism separate from the court, because uh, it seems easy to to blend the two. But the point of the letter is that they're not the same thing. That's right. I mean, to be clear, the president's power to nominate and appoint Supreme Court justices is one of his most important constitutional duties. But it's not the only one. The Constitution says, and this is all explained in the letter, the Constitution says that the president must take care that laws be faithfully executed. The president serves as commander-in-chief. The president holds the public trust on behalf of all Americans with respect to protecting the, uh, guaranteeing the equal protection of laws under the 14th Amendment. Uh, he swears an oath to the Constitution. All of these duties, are they are no less important as his power to appoint justices and pointing back to Trump's own prior statements and comments, he's raised very significant doubts about his fidelity to these aspects of constitutional government. For example? Well, for example, this is the top, line, the, the top bullet point on the letter. It's first, the president must take care that laws be faithfully executed. This candidate in particular admires dictators. He, he, he goes out of his way to point out how much he, he, he appreciates what Vladimir Putin is doing. Um, with respect to equal protection of laws, this candidate, more than perhaps any other in recent memory, goes out of his way to draw lines between Americans, to denigrate certain groups, uh, and, and to to divide us rather than bring us together. And I want, he, let me interrupt you there because that category includes the question of protecting equally people's religious liberty. And one of the so – there's been a lot of talk about people saying, oh, these evangelical leaders like Jerry Falwell Jr., what a shame that they would support a guy who has Trump's personal problems. But to me, it's, oh, my gosh, they're willing to support a guy who says openly, I think people should be treated differently by the government based on how they worship. And I understand that religious leaders right now, religious groups are under such siege by the current administration in so many ways. I can understand why they would want their own sort of strong man protecting them. But you, but you're right for for. In terms of just personal character and personal morality, to be throwing their weight in behind a candidate who just repeatedly and just gleefully denigrates traditional morality is, is very, uh, very disconcerting. If I could just add one, just to step back, one other point, though, about the court, and this is something I wrote about earlier in the year, even if you look at just the question of judicial nominations, of course I like the list or lists of judges that Trump has put forward. Someday we'll have a list of the lists of judges. <laughs> but but so far, I really admire so many of the names that he's put forward, including lesser known names like Joan Larson, a Supreme Court justice in Michigan. It's, it's a great, great collection of judges. But I personally don't believe that Trump actually takes this seriously. We saw the way he speaks. He spoke of Judge Curiel in his own litigation, running down this judge on the basis mm -hmm. of his family's ethnic heritage, I thought was abhorrent, and I said so uh, in, in the Weekly Standard. And for a, a candidate who prides himself on being a deal maker, I just don't believe that looking at the judge's issue in an, on its own 
that we should put any faith in him actually following through on so, that. So what would the argument be, and obviously you don't speak for originalists against Trump, but they are making this case, that we have entered the post-constitutional phase of America, that thanks to eight years of President Obama and the willingness of the uh, congressional branch of government to cede its job, which is to be a you know equal branch, and instead Democrats decided to operate as a parliament behind their prime minister, that if that's the way it's going to be, if presidents are going to attack religious liberty by forcing people to violate their faith in order to have Obamacare, if, if the president of the United States is going to lecture the Supreme Court and publicly pressure the Supreme Court or publicly pressure the Department of Justice and interfere, isn't it time for conservatives to say, OK, that Constitution, that was a nice old – we liked it. We keep it with our stack of Victrola records and you know with our Atari video games. But we don't use them anymore. What about that argument? Yeah, I guess the argument is we'll put our constitutional government back with the doctors and health care plans we said we were going to get to keep. But <laughs> exactly. Not. Well, at the end of the day – and again, I'm just speaking on my own. But at the end of the day, this group is originalists against Trump and that even if our – constitutional government is at a is, is at a very low point right now and if the future doesn't look good these originalist scholars will be the last to give it up not the first mm-hmm. and no matter who else whether it's folks on the left or even folks on the right who who, who think that we're now in a post-constitutional era in American government, these original these originalist scholars will be the last ones reminding everybody of what it is that we're giving up and the dear price that we're paying. But isn't it fair to take the argument seriously that there are people on the conservative side who are making good faith arguments in an era of bad faith? In other words, nobody believes for a second that the people attacking Donald Trump today for his personal misbehavior would have attacked Bill Clinton when he was literally the president of the United States doing the same things in the White House. And we know they wouldn't because they didn't. Nobody who's saying today, look at Donald Trump's disrespect for the law and he would just seize power to benefit himself would hesitate for a second if they could could be in that spot to seize power or to cheer Hillary Clinton on if she seizes power. The argument I get from so many people is, Michael, you are being naive to stand by small government, individual liberty, constitutional principles. I mean, the, the argument is well taken. And I think there's a lot of people who support Trump and who are making these arguments in good faith. And like I said, the lesson of the last eight years for many people has been that at the end of the day, to actually protect some rights, we are going to have to elect our own strongman to defend Mm -hmm. us, especially in the case of religious liberty, let's say, but in other other rights too, that we might not be able to save the whole thing, the argument goes, but we can at least find somebody who, for all of his flaws, will protect us in limited ways. Um, I I, I respect that argument. Um, I have respect for a a lot of Trump supporters. I just don't agree with that argument. It's a point on which reasonable minds can disagree, and I disagree wholeheartedly. I think that this letter puts forward the comprehensive argument uh, in favor of – sorry, the comprehensive argument against treating the court as the single most important issue that's out there. And I'm glad that this letter is out there to remind conservatives and constitutional conservatives that, again, the Constitution is more than just the court. And the court is more important than it probably should be right now, and that's largely not conservatives' doing. Uh, We would all love it if the court played less of a role in government and that constitutional norms and values and protections found other measures of protection of the other branches. Uh, So I don't – I recognize how important the court is. 
But at the end of the day, the Constitution is much larger than that. Adam White, thanks so much for joining us here for the podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Never miss another podcast. Just go to iTunes.com and subscribe. While you're there, give us five stars. That's always helpful. Also, check out our new products with our partners at PodcastOne.com, including the Crystal Clear Podcast every Friday. I'm your host, Michael Graham.